Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Luke Holloway, editor of The Journal. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Claire Tunley and Ian Simons. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be discussing inclusion in the financial services profession. I'm joined by Claire Tunley, Chief Executive Officer of the Financial Services Skills Commission, and Ian Simons, Customer Director of the Chartered Insurance Institute. Here's my conversation with Claire and Ian. Hello, Claire, and hello, Ian, and thank you for joining us today on the podcast. Hi. Hi, great to be here. Very, very happy to have you with us. So if I could start by asking you both about your thoughts on inclusion more broadly. Claire, what do we mean when we talk about an inclusive workplace? Breaking it down quite at a high level, um, I think when we talk about diversity, we put them together and they're actually quite distinct things. So I think diversity for me is around who you've got in the workforce, but inclusion is about how the people working for you feel. And I think that's quite important because how people feel about how they're working really does influence how they want to stay or progress um, or join your organisation altogether. Um, and as the sector is facing really acute skills shortages, having people that want to work for you, stay working for you and progress working with you or come to work for you in the first place is really important. So I think it's about having looking at diversity and inclusion hand in hand, but as distinct concepts. Absolutely. And, and Ian, would you agree with how important diversity and inclusion are and how an inclusive culture you know, in financial services is, is vital? Absolutely. I completely agree with Claire. And I think it's about being able to bring your whole self to work and make sure that an organisation is best able to extract the full value of your whole uh, self, whether that's your ex- lived experience, your diverse thought, etc. So, you know, there's lots of evidence that that diversity leads to innovation and it's that inclusive feeling able to input to that and to have your ideas valued and built upon rather than feeling like you need to fit in with some kind of conformity and and chop away the bits of yourself that you don't think fit into that. Many organizations have worked out now that it's a uh, it's a vital, when we say our people are our greatest asset, why have we spent decades trying to narrow that down into a certain defined form rather than look for and explore the growth opportunities around those. And I'd say particularly in financial services, what excites me about the the business opportunities around inclusion is it's not just internally focused. It's not just about can we get the best from our people, but when we talk about inclusive customer outcomes, you know, how do we understand our customers, talk to our customers, feel and respond to their holistic needs if we don't truly represent them and uh, have people in our organizations that have and do currently live all of those. So I think feeling inclusive and being able to present inclusive behaviors externally are really vital within financial services. I think it's just important to add on that because you're you're exactly right, Ian, but also the regulators recognize this as well. Um, and with the consult, the discussion paper, sorry, published last summer, they're really acknowledging that, that correlation around diversity, inclusion, diversity of thought, and the positive benefit that has on uh, fairness, uh, effectiveness of firms to do their job, the benefits for customers as well. So um, this really is a sort of a, a very 
much a, a movement towards greater inclusion and diversity across the whole sector. And Claire, if um, we could stay with you, as CEO of the Financial Services Skills Commission, can you tell us a little bit more about what the organisation does and your role within that? Thanks. So, um, the Financial Services Skills Commission set up about two years ago, um, and we represent the UK's financial services sector on skills. Uh, we do what it says on the tin. And we were set up really in response to some work that the Treasury Commission a few years ago, looking at the importance of skills for future success of the industry. And we really advocate for uh, investment in reskilling and upskilling and making sure that the workforce, uh, you know, over a million people work in financial services in the UK. And that entire workforce really needs to have the skills and be equipped with the right skills for the future, whether that be new knowledge, skills or behaviours. So we work with our members to progress this um, activity through doing research that will help them through develop, identifying the skills that are most important, um, but also progressing issues around diversity, inclusion and traction into the industry, growing the pool of skilled talent for all firms. And that's our ultimate aim. And Claire, the, the FSSC, along with the Financial Services Culture Board, has recently published a report exploring the perceptions of inclusion um, across financial services. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that report investigated, how far reaching the survey was and, and what some of the findings well. Absolutely. So um, it was a, a pilot report, a pilot survey that we did just to really get a snapshot of inclusion across the sector. Um, I think it's the first time that we have we have such a view across so many firms. So 13 firms participated and over 3,000 employees fed back their results that were analysed by ourselves and the Financial Services Culture Board. Overall, majority, uh, majority of employees are positive about inclusion and, and managers' efforts to support inclusion. 89% of, of people that responded said they, their managers promoted an inclusive environment at work. So, you know, there's a real positive to build on. But there's always a but. There is more to do. Um, so nearly 20% of people that responded were worried about being judged on their ability based on stereotypes about their background or identity. 17% of employees worried about the consequences of raising concerns where they saw something that maybe wasn't appropriate. And a quarter were unsure that they would be listened to if they spoke up. So there's, there's, there's some nuances within the data that's really important. Um, one of the other findings was about fairness and fairness and processes really matter to staff. Um, nearly nine in 10 people felt supported at work and 72% that said they had fair access to promotions. That's nearly a third that didn't feel that. And, and there's a definite difference about how you feel depending where you are in the organisation. So those that have already gone through that process and are at a more senior level feel that the system is fair, although those that haven't tend to say it's less transparent and less fair. So there's more to understand there, and that applies to progression and reward and workload as well. What we found out as well is that a third of firms that participated in the survey aren't discussing inclusion at a board level. Diversity is much, much more commonly discussed, whereas inclusion isn't. So we're really advocating for more firms to, to look at inclusion and measure it and, and discuss it, really take that seriously at a very senior level. What we also found is, is because we had such a large number of people respond, we were able to do some of that intersectional analysis across different groups and different questions, which I think for the first time within maybe a smaller sample, you can't really rely on. So just some of the, the, the findings there that might be of interest is employees that had a disability um, responded less positively across almost all questions compared to other responses, particularly around progression. They were, they were twice as likely of those who don't have a disability to say they don't have fair access to progressions. And that's a really big difference. Um, 
By ethnicity, staff are identified as white, generally responded most positively, but there's a real variance in picture. So um, half of Asian employees said they had fair access to progression compared with three quarters of white respondents. So a variation there. But also black employees were most likely to say they didn't belong and were worried about stereotypes. And finally, um, employees that are new to an organisation responded most positively compared to people who have a longer tenure. So you tend to feel much happier when you've just joined an organisation and then a few years in, maybe you you feel less positive. Um, And those that have line management responsibility were much more positive than those that didn't. So something about being able to sort of influence some of these procedures maybe made you feel more positive. So there's a lot of detail in the report, but those are just some of the key highlights there. Fantastic. I mean, well, as you said, certainly some areas of encouragement, but, you know, some real challenges and some eye-opening kind of insight as well. So when you do um, a report that kind of far-reaching and that contains that kind of valuable um, information, what what are the next steps? Where do you take it now? Oh, so I think some of the things we found were quite useful. We always want to provide practical, actionable content for our our members. And I think there was a lot in there about understanding and listening, but not making assumptions about how people may feel. And also understanding that your viewpoint may be very different to others, particularly if in a, a more senior role. So that listening is really, really important. I've mentioned about unfairness. It's, it is quite un- intangible sometimes, but it's crucial particularly around progression, reward and workload and who gets on and how and why, Um, having transparency around that, having clarity around what counts to progress is really important. Um, And I think around leadership as well, importance of your manager in your experience of the workplace is crucial. If you, you know, the firm might be a very inclusive place to work, but if you don't see that from your manager and that fairness, then that's really going to impact on your day-to-day decisions and may ultimately drive you to, to choose another employer. So there's a few kind of key challenges there. And if just, just you know, some of the areas that we're calling out firms to do more on, measuring inclusion, and I mentioned that before, you know, really identifying what what data you've got and really looking at that data and figuring out if some of your interventions make an impact are they working um not just sort of looking at static data and say are we changing the dial here but that real um culture of listening and learning and that inclusive piece is really important so i'd advocate very much for that in firms alongside the leadership point Excellent. And and Ian, coming back to you, if you could tell us a little bit about the work of the Chartered Insurance Institute and the Personal Finance Society around diversity inclusion. I mean, the, the report that Claire highlights there, is, is that some similarities in, in what you found in some of the work of the CII and the PFS? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we we were one of the 13 firms to participate in as an employer. And that's where we have a sort of duality of purpose, where we are an employer and therefore we have to and seek to be as inclusive as possible with our colleagues. But also we're looking for opportunities to develop good practice guidance for our members. So we've learned a lot through that process. We have done a number of things previously, but with less of that transparency of the data. So I think this this pilot report was the first time I'd seen that breadth of intersectional data broken down across multiple different employers, which is really critical because previous to that, our own surveys on our own people can only tell us, they can't give us a benchmark. They can only tell us how our people are feeling, which is fantastic. But what uh, a report like this really gives us a great opportunity to do is to say, actually, we can we can see where other organisations are 
achieving better outcomes, maybe doing different things, maybe just have a very different environment, and we can really explore that. So where Claire talks about the importance of listening, I, I totally agree. And it's also the, the, uh, the visibility of that listening, making sure that your people understand that it's not a, a one-way process. There isn't a department, or I don't think there should be a department who is sort of unilaterally responsible for inclusion in an organization. It has to be something that, yes, there, are, there has to be a visible leadership of it, and there may well be people with very specific accountable responsibilities for driving the process. But the visibility of it as a learning exercise and people challenging and exploring the data and promoting suggestions for how to address it is vital. So that's what we've been doing more of as an employer. So it's about saying, have we got the right networks in place for staff to explore some of those issues? Have we got the right questions in our employee engagement survey? And are we doing enough via managers to explore the results of those? Uh, so as an employer, there's a lot we're doing, but we're trying to turn as much of that as possible into good practice guidance so that we're not just having an opinion on how best to drive this, but to drive things like inclusive language guidelines we produced a little while back that sort of take on some of these issues so that it's not just about removing barriers, uh, which not that long ago, I think a lot of people felt that you start with the D in DNI, and it's about wanting to get more people into the organization. And as long as there are no barriers, then job done. Inclusion just happens at the end of that process. And I think we've all now realized that there must there has to be a much more active process to drive inclusion. And that's probably the more exciting goal. Diversity is a route to inclusion rather than inclusion just being a nice thing to happen out the back of it. So making sure that you're looking for not just removing barriers, but driving those positive conversations, training for the right outcomes. So uh, where people feel that they may be perceived based on stereotypes, you have to take an active role in changing that. It doesn't just happen on its own. And it's not for people who don't feel that they've been misjudged due to a, due to a um, stereotype to assume that there is no problem. You have to explore that. You have to go into it and you have to look for processes to fix it. So uh, it's things like inclusive language guidelines. We've uh, now required all of our chartered firms to have a, a DNI policy with some key elements within that, that that we can learn from. We've been publishing our gender and ethnicity pay gap and exploring the data behind that. Again, that's that's really only an input. It's not improving inclusion on its own, but it certainly helps to show us where there, uh, there are further improvements needed. And we're looking very actively at where we can role model and represent. So whether that's making sure that we have really representative panels at events, where, the, where we can showcase and role model um, career success within groups that may feel they don't have enough visibility of role models. And uh, we're developing inclusive customer guidance and training uh, alongside that as well. So there's lots of active activity that needs to be driven that, that we're hoping to try and um, do with our members. So it's definitely not, you know, we're a small organization. We haven't got all the answers, but we're trying to host those conversations and learn from each other. And Claire, and both yourself and Ian, you know, highlight that there's certainly work to be done. What are your thoughts there on the actions that Ian was describing and, and what are some of the key areas that insurers and advisory firms should be focusing on? 
I think it captures it really well. And the the, the key areas is is about measurement to start with. You don't know if you're improving if you don't don't measure. So um, last year, the commission we devised and published a, an inclusion measurement guide, which is on is based on a maturity model. So levels one to four. If you're just starting on this, start at level one. There's some basic questions to ask, and then your your approach can mature as you you do as an organisation. So what we're keen to do is that that organisations align around a common set of, of metrics so that then you can do that benchmarking. Um, so that measurement is important and it's got to sit alongside diversity, as we've already talked about. Um, the culture of listening and learning we've both mentioned, I think one thing to add to what Ian said is, is not only undertaking that listening and, and taking action, but then feeding back that, that, that loop of communication does need to be complete because if you've had feedback from employees, they've taken the time to give their honest feedback or input, then actually knowing what happened as a result or didn't happen as a result and some reasons why something didn't happen is really important and it's about transparency. And that did come across actually in, in the, the research we did where people were saying, we asked people what would improve inclusion and that ongoing communication and feedback was, was one of the things that was identified. I've, I've mentioned that fairness and that processes and systems point. Uh, so it is around looking at processes and systems. Are they transparent? Are we are firms clear about how they can how someone can progress? What's the, the the requirements to get to a certain level, and what can the firm do to support someone to get there? Um, and maybe people don't have that, or they do, and they feel like they've missed out. I think that that transparency about what good looks like is really important, particularly around progression and tailoring training. I think you know making sure people are aware of some of these issues and just. Uh, made aware that their viewpoint is not always shared by others and, and just exploring that further. And, and the final point, I think, is around is around that leadership point. Um, if leaders care about this and make time to discuss it and explore it, then the organisation will follow on that. But it's got to be backed up by, by robust action. So there's a, there's a clear set of actions there. And it's those things that we're still looking at as an organisation to, to work with our members on. Um, including the, the CII uh, and others and many of the insurance firms that are in our membership. It's not a, it's not a done deal. There's more to do, as always. And we're looking at that in, in the future and potentially repeating the work. That's something we're discussing with the Financial Services Culture Board, but also keeping an eye on the regulator's consultation paper, which is obviously coming out in the next few months, um, about how inclusion fits within some of the diversity measurement that they're exploring. So lots to do in 22. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and lastly, um, if I could ask you both about any final thoughts on the subject, um, Ian, if you could kind of direct our listeners to the work of the CII and the PFS, and uh, where would you send them if they want to find out more? So we have a, a number of tools or guides, etc., on the PFS and CII websites. So in, uh, uh, in the area around um, uh, sorry, I've forgotten the name of the section of the website, but uh, uh, the learning section and also in our initiatives area, we have a, a, um, a hub of diversity and inclusion tools. So things like I mentioned earlier, the uh, uh, inclusive language guidelines, uh, a guide to inclusive recruitment and things like that in there. But generally, I'd say less about um, coming to us for the answers. I'm really asking for our members to start asking us to help develop what next. What are the tools? I mean, I think one of the biggest what next for me is it's a very different set of, of issues and solutions needed if you're a, a five-person financial advisor from a global financial institution, then you know, the same principles and processes probably need to be followed. But what tools do our members need 
to be developed and how can we help them do that? Um, so I'm, it's kind of a, yes, we've got some tools, but actually I'd really encourage, let's use our community to try and develop more, challenge us on uh, what the remaining gaps are. If, uh, if what we've provided looks great, if you are that multinational organization, but doesn't work for uh, a small organization, well, let's figure out what that is that's needed. So please let's, let's work together on that. Fantastic. And Claire, any final words from you? Um, obviously, the, the report you've mentioned is available on the Financial Services Skills website. Is there any other resources you'd like to highlight or um, anywhere you'd send our listeners to find out more? Yeah, I think I, I measured the Inclusion Measurement Guide again, which is on the, the Commission's website and was developed with our members, in, including the CII. And it is it is about that maturity piece. So if it, you know, for a small firm who's sort of thinking about this, then you know, start at level one of the Inclusion Measurement Guide. It's very simple, some three questions to ask and, and just start to understand your, your firm. I mean, at the Commission, we're very small as well. So we're looking at how we can embed some of this within our processes. Um, and it allows firms to grow. So I'd, I'd say start with that guide. It's a practical tool that you can, you know, really just implement very simply. And, you know, it's great to have the, the conversations with, you know, the bigger firms as well, but making sure that everyone can, can go on this journey together with the tools that, that we have or the CII have and others have is really important. So I'd, my, my sort of final message would be just, just get started. Don't be scared of it. Just, just get going on, on looking at inclusion in your workforce and you might find some very interesting, encouraging, but also challenging things. So yeah, just get going. Superb. Well, thank you so much, Claire. And thank you, Ian, for joining us today on the podcast. It's been an incredibly interesting episode and it's been a pleasure having you. So um, thank you both for speaking to us today. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening. To find out more, you can visit thejournal.cii.co.uk forward slash podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at CII Group. So until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening to CII Radio.